You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have Jill Connell, who is actually calling all the way from New Zealand. I'm always fascinated by just how international this community is. So Jill, thank you for making the time to be with us today. Thanks, Jeanne-Marie. It's my pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So as I always like to get started, um, I'd like to ask my guests, what is their definition of the art of parenting? Well, I think that my definition is probably that it's important to realize that even though you are in a parenting role, that you need to think a lot like a child when you are engaging with kids because an adult's perspective of things and a child's perspective of things are quite different. And so I like to think about what a kid would do. You know, I'm, I'm particularly thinking about uh, play and being active. Uh, but sometimes we think about things from an adult perspective, like, yeah, we are incredibly focused on you know keeping our kids safe but there is also that aspect of kids need to try things and sometimes it doesn't go so well so you know we need to be able to have a great balance I think in terms of being a parent and and being able to see things through children's eyes that said if I can just call out the safety thing it is our absolute paramount um, requirement that we we are the carers of our kids so we need to be to call it when we need to right I love that to think like a child it's it's so true to put ourselves in there because we forget right we were children once but we we've forgotten <laughs> we've moved on so it's important I love that thank you for that and and before we get started in our conversation I would love if you could share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work you're doing with uh, parents and children sure well I, I have been an educator for uh, longer than I care to remember however uh it is a passion of mine to be involved with children. I was a classroom teacher, and I guess one of the things that really struck me teaching, uh, I've taught right throughout from early years right through to um, 12, 13-year-olds, I guess, is that you know kids were, were arriving in my classroom, particularly when I taught five- and six-year-olds for a long time, 
they couldn't sit still, they couldn't hold pencils, they couldn't follow instructions. And it was a kind of dilemma for me to know that I needed to to empower these kids with literacy and numeracy, but that they didn't have what I would call the foundations, the physical foundations that they needed for the classroom. And I noticed, you know, when we were reading stories, they were wriggling and fidgeting on the mat, they were rolling around, and they were more thinking about that than they were thinking about the um, the content content of what I was writing, I was what I was talking about, and. You know, same thing for when they were writing. You know, I was noticing that that they had things like um, immature pencil grips and that they would push really hard on the paper and that when they were moving around the classroom, they would bump into things and they would knock things over. And it really occurred to me that some of these children weren't ready for what I would call formal learning. And that got me onto a bit of a crusade really as to, you know, how do I fix this in my classroom? How do I help kids in their learning journey? And I guess I I did some further study into uh, the role that physical development plays in learning. And it really opened up a huge aha for me i i thought gosh i need to restructure the way that i um, run my classroom and long story short i changed my classroom to become a very developmentally appropriate physically based classroom my mantra became how can i make this learning physical because we know that kids learn best when they're doing and that because kids are less active than they used to be, because they are not developing these physical foundations through active play as much as they used to be. For instance, um, you need to have great upper body strength to be able to, you know, and develop your gross motor skills before your fine motor control and your manipulative development um, can take priority. And, you know, many of our kids aren't climbing trees, aren't hanging and swinging like they used to. There's a whole change in the way that um, we approach physical development. And this was having an impact on kids in my classroom who weren't preparing their bodies naturally. So I changed my whole approach to my classroom, as I was saying, did further research, and it's become my my passion really um over the last 15 to 20 years i've become a um a speaker i i i run keynote workshops um at conferences i've written books and um programs and curriculum all based on that physical development of kids and yeah i'd love to talk to you more about that really Yes, and and that's why I wanted to have you on the show because I know how important movement is, and we know we know even as adults, right? We need to be moving, but it is so hard for our children to sit still, right? It, it for me, I feel like children are in perpetual motion, and it and it's it's actually you know, we can't expect them to, to sit still. And and I don't know if you know this, but I have my, my Montessori background, which is very much based 
in uh, using movement to learn, right? We have this concept in the classroom of freedom of movement where children are allowed to get up and walk around and choose where they're going to do their work, whether it is at a table or on a mat on the floor and so forth. And we, we actually, as the teachers, we actually use movement where I remember I would st- sit as far away from an activity as I possibly can so that the child would have to, you know, cross the entire classroom to to do the activity because, you know, as as you've said, it's it's part of the learning. And what I love about your work is you started it as to solve a problem that was in your classroom. And you have branched out to to support families and parents and educators all over the world from just, you know, wanting to solve this this one problem. So I love the work that you do. Beautiful. Can I, if I can just add to that? Yes, please. You know, you touched on kids not being able to sit still. And it was a huge aha moment for me when I realized that you can't teach a child to sit still by practicing sitting still. You actually need to, and kids know this, by the way, and so the movement patterns that kids use and and play with and do in their daily physical lives are things like rolling, spinning, hanging upside down, and rocking. These are the movement patterns that kids use to develop what we call their vestibular system. And their vestibular system, which is their balance system, actually helps them control their bodies. So by doing those kinds of movements, it's helping to calm kids. It's helping to help them to refocus and and reorganize themselves so that they don't have to think about sitting still, but they, and they can focus on what you're talking about. And I often give this example, you know, we've all got kids in our lives who lie upside down on the couch to to watch TV. And the reason they're doing that is because they haven't had enough upside down time in their daily physical diets. So they kind of invent times and when they can do these things because their brain is saying, I really need more of this. Um, If you want me to focus and concentrate and listen to what you're saying, I need to uh, have my vestibular system in play here. And the way I do that is by using those kinds of movement patterns. And when I found that out, you know, it was like a huge aha for me. Here were these kids on my on my mat while I was reading stories who were sitting at the back of the mat, who were rolling around, who were fid- fidgeting. And, and I thought to myself, if I just do something with them to help them with this, movement pattern so what I would do is I would get the kids to stand up and we'd put our arms out wide and we'd do some spinning um, or I'd do uh, what I call rollover reading which is such a fun little activity where the kids lie on the mat while you're reading a story and every time you turn the page they roll over so they get this rolling you know I recognized that rolling was such an important Um, movement pattern that help kids refocus and and concentrate and by doing it in a fun way kids don't even know that they're doing it and this is the kind of thing that I you know I really want 
parents to to get you know that they're giving you these amazing messages through their play we need to be able to read the moves read what they're telling us by the kinds of behaviors that they're doing um and that in turn helps us to understand them to relax to say okay we need to do some of this kind of movement in our daily physical diets uh let's go roll down the hills at the park let's um Let's let them sit on our office chair and spin because they need it. Let's hang them upside down. Let's, when they're just out of the bathtub, you know, and they're lying on the, on the towel while you're drying them, let's roll them up in the towel and then unwind them and just bring these kinds of movements to life for kids because they will love you for it. Yes, yes. And what I like and what I'm hearing also is, is that this is – part of the natural development. And, and I, I feel that today we tend to put our children in maybe containers and contraptions that they don't necessarily know how to get in and out of. And it's, it's like it, it's not giving them the ability to develop their motor skills naturally, right? Where where an infant, for example, is best for me to, you know, leave them on a mat on the floor so that they can figure out how, how to roll or how to crawl or all of that on their own and, and eventually sit up and eventually crawl and stand and, and so forth. And I feel sometimes where we're kind of getting in the way of wanting to do all that for them or not giving them the time and the space to do it on their own. Yeah, you know, nature has a plan. Kids come pre-wired with that plan. And if we get in the way of that, then there are gaps in kids' physical development. Um, In my book, A Moving Child is a Learning Child, I've developed a tool that I use called the evolution of movement. And it's a It's a um, sequential map of all the very small milestones that kids are wired to do. Important to understand that they develop these in a sequential fashion if we give them the space in the room to do it. And that means that our kids' uh, gymnasium is the floor in the early months of life. Uh, And they will pretty much unless there's something that is getting in the way of it and I'm talking about a genetic predisposition or a developmental delay or something like that kids will do these things Um, but when we put them in containers like swings like walkers like uh, seats and I know you need car seats in the in the in the car for safety but you know it's important to take them out of that um, it's great for kids to, instead of being the in the stroller going to the park, to maybe spending a little longer on the way to the park so that they can balance on the sidewalk and on the on the cracks in the footpath and on the pathways as they go there, because that's a natural way for kids to develop their their balance systems. You know, um, we just we're in a hurry sometimes, and we think the needs of children yeah exactly and and I know that if we aren't in a hurry and we're willing you know you said at the beginning to think like a child but if we walk like a child or 
or go to their pace, they're capable of, of walking long distances. They're just, you know, taking their sweet time or, and, and stopping and smelling the roses and looking at the bugs and, and so forth. But they're learning so much. And if we can slow down, um, that's beautiful. One thing that you said you were, you know, you you were saying, you know, taking our time to walk to the park. Um, do you know in your in your studies and in your work if what the difference is for really bringing our children in nature so that they there are kind of natural obstacles and and different surfaces and textures as opposed to for example, always going to the same park and playing on the same jungle gym day in and day out. Is there a difference? Because I know once I, I heard that there was, so I, I wanted to hear from your perspective uh, what your thoughts on that is. I would totally concur if you have access to the natural environment. There are so many different challenges, different uh, experiences that you can find in the natural environment. And I certainly would would suggest to parents that if you can't access a natural environment, then to change up the playgrounds that you go to. And the reason I would say that is one of the things that I talk a lot to parents and educators about is the importance of kids having what we call a well-balanced physical diet. It's the same as having a well-balanced nutritional diet. You, you know, in order to be able for your system to function well to its best capability, you need to have a well-balanced um, nutritional diet. Same for physical. And there are certain components that I would certainly say need to be included. And when you're looking for a, for a play spaces for your kids, and that includes the natural environment, you need to make sure that they have sensory um, experiences, lots of tactile, lots of um, visual, auditory kinds of experiences in their play. They need to have activities where they can balance. And I don't mean just balancing on a narrow beam or something like that or a, or a branch or a, I mean things that I've, I've just suggested upside down rolling spinning rocking they need they need experiences what I call intuition where they learn about how big their body is in relation to other spaces can I fit can I go under how do I change my body so that I can move uh, around things and through things and under things and over things. And that allows a child to be able to get a, a sense of their size, their shape in relation to other things, especially if we've got clumsy kids, um, kids who trip over nothing. Um, those kids are often telling us that they need uh, those kinds of intuitive experiences where they they touch as they move through and they get feedback when they do those kinds of things. They need experiences that involve stamina and resilience and, and agility and being able to use their bodies in different ways, move in different ways, like caterpillars or snakes or bears or crocodiles, or you know, to be able to change the way they move. And they need to have lots of huff and puff activities. That's what we call power. They need lots of those kinds of movements. And then they need more complex movements where uh, one side of the body does something different from another, like hopping and skipping and marching and 
um, caterpillar walking and crab walking and all of those kinds of concepts that are, uh, you know, allow one part of your body to do something different from the other. And then they also need to be able to to control their bodies. Can they go fast? Can they go slow? Can they change from fast to slow? Can they freeze? Can they do things backwards and sideways and upside down? And all of those kinds of things, we call that control. Those six elements, sensory, balance, intuition, power, coordination, and control, make up a child's well-balanced physical diet. And the brain knows this. The child knows this. The body knows this. We just need to, whether it's in the natural environment or in a variety of different place playgrounds, we, we need to make sure that kids get those on a daily basis if we can. So when you talk about this well-balanced physical diet, what are th- is there like a age expectation as to when when we should see that the child is kind of mastering all these different uh, movements that you described? They develop sequentially. So the first three, sensory balance and intuition, are, are the ones that younger children will focus on. Uh, the other three, which are, are more of our motor side of the well-balanced physical diet, are more about... Uh, not skills, but being able to do more advanced movement. So what comes before is the sensory, the sensory end of the um, well-balanced physical diet. If I had something visual, I could show you exactly what I was talking about. Kids need all of those six areas, but when they're younger, the emphasis needs to be more on the sensory balance and intuition. And as they get more competent physically and I don't like to put an age on that because it varies so so hugely Um, you can get into more refined kinds of movements with which are the other end and uh, Jean-Marie I'm happy to send you uh, something that you can put up on on the um, podcast so people can see okay on the show notes that would be great yes Yes. And actually, when you were when you were talking, I I had a visual in my mind that uh, I often use when I'm working with uh, parents of young children. And and you might know this, it's from a book called Well Balanced, I believe. And it's the, the human evolution that the child goes through that first year, right, where, where they're a fish in prenatal life, then they're a reptile, then they're a, a mammal, a primate, and then, and then a human. And to me, it's just that visual because it's, it's each time there's, there's the animal representation, kind of the, the child's different movements. And it's just so fascinating to me that, a child, a human child can go through all of that within 12 months of time if if we let that happen naturally. Yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's the huge um, dilemma that we have, that we try and get kids doing things beyond their capabilities and be, beyond their readiness. Um, and I go back to the, to the understanding that, you know, movement is sequential. And, it, and it, one experience builds on the next. And if you give that time and you give children space and opportunity for that to happen, you know, right from the very beginning when we need to put kids on the floor, they need to have the floor and the space to move. And, you know, because nature knows that how to do this. If When a child's on, a child comes 
equipped with what we call early primitive reflexes. I'm talking about babies just after birth. Um, these reflexes develop in utero and they're designed to help babies uh, initiate the birthing process and move through the birthing canal. Mums certainly do a lot of the work, but they, um, they babies also participate in this process using their primitive reflexes. These primitive reflexes are there to help them to survive in the early months of life. I don't know if you're familiar, um, there's a reflex on the bottom of a baby's foot where if you touch it, they push against you. Um, you notice that when you bounce baby on your knees and they, they just naturally uh, bounce up and down, that's called the, the planter or the babinski reflex. Baby uses that reflex to, when it's on mum's tummy, to push itself up to the breast to find food. It's a survival reflex. And then also baby uses that reflex once it rolls over on its tummy on the floor, pulls its little knees up underneath itself and starts pushing itself forward. Baby is equipped with all of these primitive reflexes, these, you know, that they have no control over to actually get themselves moving. Sometimes we just get in the way of this, you know? Yeah. And when you say, when you say that also getting in the way, I have this, this image of, of, you know, a child, a, a, a newborn on the mat, maybe, wanting to kind of, you know, squirm over to get a toy that they have seen, we tend to go, oh, is this what you want? And, and give it to them or kind of get stop this, this amazing, amazing movement and work that they're doing because, you know, we're, 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 we're being helpful. I mean, we're, we're doing it out of the goodness of our heart. But like you say, we're, we're also getting in the way. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with you more. You know, there's a fine line. You don't want your child to be um, frustrated and unhappy, but out of frustration comes grit and determination and resilience and, you know, failure leads to success. And they've got everything on board in terms of what they need to do this. We just need to, you know, Manage the situation, I think, a little better. Um, read the signs of what your child's telling you without doing everything for them. You know, back to the classroom. I saw kids coming into my classroom whose parents did everything for them and they were so um, needy in terms of my attention, my, of which I'm thoroughly happy to, to provide. But, you know, there is... There's a balance there. We want kids to become independent and self-thinkers and problem solvers and all of those things that come through this resilience and play and this, this um, ability to have the, the belief that they can do it. And it starts right at the very beginning. Yeah, no, so important to take more time to observe and to watch this beautiful unfolding happen in front of your eyes as opposed to, to to get in the way. I did have a question about one thing you were talking about, you know, these reflexes and then also the, the sensory and all this. Do you have a, and, and this might not be in, in your realm, but this putting shoes on or, or barefoot with children? I wrote a blog about barefoot. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And for, for this reason, if shoes are restrictive, and they don't allow kids to get feedback. So skin is an incredibly um, important 
organ of our body. It contains what we call proprioceptors, which are feedback um, messages that go to the brain. So when you walk on stones or you work, walk on rough ground, you don't get that feedback when you've got socks and shoes on. Uh, and so you can't learn to adjust as easily to, you know, the adjust your body to the balance, to to the messages you're receiving. When you are barefoot, you receive information and your brain and your body work together to adjust how you move over things and around, you know. And you can then predict what that rock might look like and how I need to place my foot on it in order to, to get across it. It's you know, the, the brain learns through that sensory proprioceptive feedback. And the other thing I would say is that it is so much safer for kids because feet are quite sticky. They, they, it's safer for children to, to be barefoot, particularly when they're climbing, than it is for them to have socks and shoes and definitely not to have socks, just socks on or tights or, you know, uh, on their feet because they're slippery and we don't want them to have accidents. Does that make sense to you? Totally. And, and to me, I realize that when I have, so I have two young adult children, but my firstborn, who's going to be 27, when she started walking, it was a time when you were encouraged to wear very like rigid shoes that you know, held their ankle and, and all of this. <laughs> and, and then, you know, and then later on, it was like, no, 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 soft, you know, soft, just leather shoes so that they and, and bare feet as, as much as possible. So it's interesting how, you know, we, we're, we're, we're evolving. And I always say that where we're, you know, learning things every day. So I know that today, it is definitely encouraged to you know, let your children walk barefoot as much as possible. Yes, yes. I mean, taking into account, you know, there are, there are creepy crawlies around and that kind of thing. So, you know, we need to judge the situation and that's where, but in general, it's, it's much better developmentally for them to be barefooted. Sure, sure, because of all, all that feedback. Well, this this has been delightful, Jill. I know this has been a conversation that has been in the making for a long time because we've we've connected a while back. And so I'm so glad that we actually had the time to really hone in on the importance of, of movement for children and really encourage parents and educators to, you know, see see that through the need of their children. There's one thing, are, are you are you still in the classroom or are you no. now doing mostly? Okay. I teach teachers actually. Okay, perfect. I will just say that um, I've got this passion that it's not just teachers, you know, there's, there's the child, there's, there's the educator and there's the parent. So what I've done uh, in recent in the last year is um, put up a new website that your listeners may well love to look at because it's folk, it's designed for parents to, to give parents an understanding of why kids need to move, how they move, uh, what they need to get ready for the classroom physically, all of those sorts of things. Um, and that's called Look What I Can Do, and can do is spelled K-A-N-D-U, lookwhaticando.com. And I, you know, I just welcome you to visit this 
There's so much information in there. Please go and and learn there. I'm sure it, you know it's designed for mums and dads to, and and caregivers too. Wonderful. And I'll have all those links in the show notes. So, so please check out the show notes too to see this. And I was looking at it uh, before our interview and, it, and it's wonderful, full of ideas and such. Um, what, no, why I was asking is because I know that your, your work came from this experience of being in the classroom and seeing, you know, the difficulty children had sitting still. And I was wondering if you've seen maybe also a shift and maybe you're hearing it from the educators as to the, what I believe to be an overuse of digital devices today. Well, yes, I do. I hear that a lot. Um, Yes. Okay. Particularly from teachers who are teaching reading. And this is something we talk a lot about. Um, the effects on the eyes and what we call eye fitness, that when kids are on screens for long periods of time, the eyes don't get the practice at changing uh, from near to to far vision. They don't uh, don't develop the, the eye muscles that drive the eyes from one side of the page to the other. So what they're seeing are kids who... um, Who's, who get almost too tired, their, their eyes get uh, overloaded. They start rubbing their eyes, they they blink a lot, they're, um, they look away and people think that they're, you know, they're not focusing, but actually they're resting their eyes. Their eyes get watery, their eyes get red, they start to miss, uh, miss words, they uh, can't skip the lines you know the saccadic movement from from one line to the next they skip lines and teachers are noticing you know that children's eye fitness and readiness is not there when it comes to reading Um, and that you know we can align that with a direct impact of screens and sedentary behavior the best the best way to develop eye development is in the outdoors where kids are naturally changing their focal length from near to far and they're seeing peripherally things they look on their lookout for things that are happening to the side of their their eyes. Um, they're, they're naturally developing eye fitness. Um, so, you know, I would I would absolutely recommend that that play in outside spaces are, you know, they're developing your children's readiness for learning in so many different ways. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. That um, that confirms everything that I've been thinking and, and talking and, and writing about. So so thank you. Um, and I know that that uh, I'm I'm being careful of the time. So as we wrap up, I, I didn't ask actually if you were a parent yourself. Yes, I have three kids and six uh, six what I call granny kids. Oh, lovely, lovely, lucky, lucky you. And and how old is your eldest, if I may ask? My eldest child? Yes. 41. <laughs> 41. Okay. Yeah. So if you were to go back to 42 years ago, when you were expecting that first child of yours, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Well, I just value play. Play is the key to to children learning about their world and to give kids time. You know, I think back and I think maybe I rushed, rushed development that I was in a hurry to get my kids to the next milestone. It's incredibly important for you to just enjoy the journey uh, together because kids know 
the kids move themselves on when they're ready. They're self-contained, really. Um, I just need to be along that. I think I needed to be along that ride more than I was, you know, um, that it was sometimes my agenda that got in the way. Definitely different with my granny kids. And, you know, I, I think we've got more time as grandparents. We're a little bit more relaxed. And, and you have the wisdom, you have the wisdom of experience of, of you know, just like you were saying of, of the advice that you would give your younger self is to, to, to slow down and, and the value of play. You know that now. So as a, a grandparent, you're able to, to really hone in on that. And I think that's beautiful. The other day, somebody told me that being a grandparent was the dessert of life. Oh, that's beautiful. And I just love that. I just thought, oh, yes. And I cannot wait. I don't know if I will be one day, but I can't wait. <laughs> special experience. I, yeah. I, I would say that, you know, for mums and dads listening to this now, that it is important, it is incredibly important to, to give kids space and time to to do to do things um, I, I see kids very organized in this world they're, they're scheduled they have so much happening and that they can be frustrated when they are on this in this wonderful learning space somewhere playing and then you you know we say right we're going to go to the you've got to go to gymnastics or you've got to go to swimming now and I know that's important too but just my message is to just have a good balance. Have a good balance so that kids can play and discover and, you know, build things in the backyard and have time to do that um, without too much scheduling. That would be my, my wisdom advice. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jill, for your time and sharing your wisdom with us today. No problem. Lovely to meet you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.